Welcome to the Keep Texas Red podcast, where we discuss the importance of true conservative values. Follow us on KeepTexasRed.org. And now, here's your host, campaign strategist and political commentator, Joseph Vargas. Our guest today is a veteran of the U.S. Army, an author of five books, and a graduate of Wayland Baptist University and Trident University International. He's a current historian of the Republican Party of Texas, and he is running for Texas Land Commissioner. Welcome to the Keep Texas Red podcast, Dr. Tim Wesley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, first of all, Dr. Wesley, tell us a little bit of what the duties actually are of a Texas Land Commissioner, and why did you decide to run for office? Yeah, there are a couple of major things that the Land Commissioner's Office does. When we consider the fact that Texas has 13 million acres of public land, uh, the Land Commissioner's Office oversees that public land when it comes down to sales, uh, uses, leases for oil and gas exploration, exploring our minerals. Uh, When we consider our coastlines, that's going to fall under the purview of the Land Commissioner's Office as well. When we think about our veterans, we have 1.4 million veterans in the state of Texas and growing. We have six veteran cemeteries, nine uh, veteran homes, and uh, those two fall under the purview of the Land Commissioner's Office, as well as the Veterans Land Board, which when it comes to our veterans getting home loans, land loans, things of that nature, they all fall under that purview of the Land Commissioner's Office. Uh, Moving towards uh, natural disasters, uh, people will know about things like Hurricane Harvey. When we think about the hurricanes and the fires and the tornadoes such as we just experienced over the last 48 hours, when those natural disasters happen, uh, there's federal funding that will come down the pipeline. A lot of that federal funding coming from FEMA falls under the purview of the Land Commissioner's Office. And so this office is responsible uh, for making sure that Texans are able to get back on their feet quickly. As we look even further at things such as our historical monuments, specifically as we think about the Alamo, uh, the Alamo and Alamo footprint is under the purview of the Land Commission's office as well, and making sure that the places like the Cenotaph is protected and and other monuments for that matter, uh, the Land Commissioner has a voice on those things. So um, in in general, um, as I like to tell people, the Land Commission's office, there are several things that they do. um, And so it's a widespread, job where the responsibilities are are definitely uh, plentiful. And, and one of the most important things that I must tell you as well, which is going to be uh, number five of the five major things that the Land Commission Office does, is with education. And that is at the heart of the Land Commissioner's Office because the, the Land Commissioner's Office is older than uh, the Governor's Office, the oldest uh, state office that we have in this great state. And it was developed as the uh, lands were being uh, sold off, as people were uh, beginning to uh, gain deeds on the lands, anything that was taking place with respect to revenue on the lands, a portion of it was designated to go towards public education back in the 1800s, and, and still that takes place to this day. And so that permanent school fund um, was developed, and as it's now known, and it's now in upwards of $50 billion. And so these things are, again, uh, things that's under the purview oversight or have direct impact from the Land Commissioner's Office. So we realize that the uh, Texas Land Commissioner's Office is a critical office for the state. So what made you decide to run for that office? There's a couple of things. One, 
as I look at our veterans, as I mentioned, we have 1.4 million veterans in the great state of Texas. One of the reports that I read right before I got on the ballot, and I'm just going to put it in layman's terms, one of the high officials in the general land office uh, basically looked at those cemeteries. As I mentioned, we have six state cemeteries and view them as uh, a waste of money, basically as a money pit, uh, you know, basically as um, a part of the general land office that's not providing a return on investment. And with that being said, as a veteran, seven years active duty in the U.S. Army, one in the Texas National Guard, I felt insulted. Not only did I feel like I was insulted, but it was insulting to all that have served, all that have worn the uniform, all that have sacrificed, all that have lost loved ones, even those that didn't serve, but their loved ones have passed away. And so for me, I read even further into that article, one of the articles that I saw. And when I noticed that even those that were leading veterans organizations, one gentleman in particular decided that enough was enough. He resigned from his post because there was just uh, difficulty in working with the general land office. And as he stated, and I put it in layman's terms, it's a cultural thing. It's not a one-time thing. For me, I couldn't sit on the sidelines knowing as a veteran that our veterans are not honored, not respected, and that there is a culture that's negative towards veterans in the general land office based on that particular report. And so that sparked my attention and desire to get into the race. In addition, before that story even broke, there was issues taking place in the city of San Antonio. I live right outside of the city of San Antonio in the city of Selma. And there were issues taking place with respect to the Alamo and specifically with the Cenotaph. And I recall grassroots activists um, speaking about the Cenotaph, about the uh, plans that San Antonio had to move the Cenotaph, which there, that was going to be an attempt because there, there was no way that they were going to be able to successfully move it without destroying it. And not only move the Cenotaph, but uh, begin to interrupt and disrupt the footprint of the Alamo and ultimately I ended up getting uh, on board. Uh, I was intrigued and encouraged um, to get on board uh, just by hearing what was taking place. And I began to speak and I spoke at um, you know, one of the events that San Antonio was hosting uh, in defense of the Cenotaph, that it not be moved. And so the Cenotaph in itself means the spirit of sacrifice. And so we have uh, so many sacrifice stories that we hear uh, about the inception of Texas, but none greater than the story about the Battle of the Alamo. And so for me, being a, a former soldier and also the historian for the Republican Party of Texas, I knew firsthand that we must protect history. We must protect our monuments. As I've spoken even at San Jacinto, and we know that's monumental, and that it wasn't long after the Battle at the Alamo that uh, the battle that took place at San Jacinto uh, with General Sam Houston going up against uh, the general from Mexico, Santa Ana. And so we knew that um, that battle took place. And after we won that battle battle at San Jacinto, uh, the Republic of Texas was birthed. And, and it, none of that would have happened if it weren't for those men and those great sacrifices here in the great city of San Antonio. Because as those men ran into battle, not walked, ran into battle, in San Jacinto, they screamed out what we now know as an infamous term of endearment. Remember the Alamo. Those two things alone, our veterans and our Alamo, intrigued me, encouraged me, and motivated me that I couldn't sit on the sidelines, but I had to get in this race. Now, Dr. Wesley, why do you feel personally that it is so important for a true conservative to be elected as Texas Land Commissioner? 
because we have so few true conservatives that's elected in our state offices, including when it comes down to our legislative offices. I'll give you an example. When I talk to people about the land commissioner's office, I tell them it's an executive office. It's not legislative. So people ask, what are you going to do about this? Or what are you going to do about that? Well, I'll tell them, look, those are legislative issues. That's not going to be in the category of what I do. However, as the next land commissioner, I have a platform. I'm going to use that platform. Even if that platform causes me and leads me to dealing with legislators, and it may be outside of the direct purview of what I'm doing as land commissioner. However, if it's going to assist and help we the people and ultimately enhance the land commissioner's office, uh, then I move forward towards it. And so when we look at uh, this office, there's so much we can do. And I, I, I've been out shoulder to shoulder with grassroots activists. I've been at places such as San Jacinto. I've been at places such as the Alamo. I've been traveling throughout the great state of Texas. And I know that it's going to take someone from amongst the people, because we have very few that represent from amongst the people, to speak and be a true voice for the people. I had a woman, uh, a lady that I met some years back, uh, a mother, not just any mother, but a gold star mother, this gold star mother reached out to me when I was running for U.S. Congress. Someone gave her my information. She reached out and she needed some assistance because she was trying to get some legislation passed. Now, keep in mind, I'm actively running for Congress at this time and I'm all over the place. I'm traveling. I'm doing quite a bit. Yet, when this citizen from amongst we the people reached out, I said, we're going to work with you. I'm going to do all that I can to make sure I work with you. I work with her um, with legislation from Washington to Austin. And we were fortunate enough that uh, President Trump, before his election, he was able to respond to this Gold Star mom. And he was moving this proposed legislation that I wrote to make sure we can honor her son, Adam, who died uh, while on active duty. We were going to honor him. And President Trump was on board. Unfortunately, he didn't uh, move forward after the election. So that was lost. And that unfortunately, that happens. Uh, we, but to get to the point, we went through our state legislature's office and we went through Austin. And unfortunately, even as we were pushing that same type of legislation at the state level, it was someone with an R beside their name, someone that's a Republican that was basically sponsoring the bill. The bill died in that office. And a long story short, it died on the same desk that should have been trying to fight to keep it alive. And after having multiple trips to Austin to fight and to see Republicans killing deals and killing things that's going to help the citizens of this great state, I knew then we can't just be concerned that someone has an R beside their name. It has to be a true conservative, a true grassroots constitution-believing conservative that's not only amongst we the people, but hearing from them and willing to hear from them when elected. So, Dr. Wesley, you raise a very good point, actually two, two good points. One of them is that you're actually going out there and talking to the people. And the second one is that you're pretty much going to go against the establishment. So what have you been hearing as you've been traveling the state from the people? And what are you doing to prepare to take on the establishment? Here's the thing. The people are frustrated. They're, they're tired of being lied to. They're tired of being given empty promises. They're tired of not having great people to elect. They're tired of it. And so what I'm hearing as boots on the ground, what I'm hearing from conservatives, grassroots conservatives, that we need a voice. 
We saw a lot of great conservatives, a lot of great grassroots conservatives go down at the midterm election. I was one of the few that was blessed enough to remain standing. And so what I'm hearing is that we need a voice. And so what am I going to do? It's simple. I'm going to follow the Constitution. I'm going to follow our state constitution. I'm going to follow the U.S. Constitution. Not only that, I'm going to make sure that I'm having town hall meetings, frequent town hall meetings, because I don't want to just hear from we the people while I'm running for office to get elected. Because for me, it's not about the job of being elected as the land commission. It's about being able to get elected, use that platform for the benefit of we the people and not just for the job of land commissioner. The way I explained it, I was in Conroe just a couple of days ago. And as I was in Conroe, Texas, I said, look, this is the equivalent of me walking by someone's house that's about to burn down. The fire is just starting. I dare not walk by it without trying to do something about it when I see the problem. So when people ask, why are you going to look outside the purview of the land commissioner's office and do anything else? I won't let your house burn down if I see it burning. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to try to make sure you get off safely. I'm going to try to make sure we put that fire out. I want to point out to the people, as I've said before, and I'll say a thousand times again, and I mean every word of it. When I see something going on, whether it's legislatively or whether it's with another executive, if it's going to hurt we the people, you can guarantee yourself you have a voice that's going to put people on blast. I don't care who it is because I'm not worried about the next election. I'm concerned about this one. I'm concerned about doing what we the people send me to Austin for and making sure that they know without a doubt we have one fighter. We have one warrior in Austin that's fighting for us. And that's Dr. Tim Wesley. Now, you also wrote five books. Yes. Uh, what were these books about that you wrote? Various things. Um, wrote a, um, a book just for life's issues, uh, whether it's relationships with marital relationships, family relationships, friendships. So I wrote uh, uh, my first book about just all types of things dealing with life. Um, I wrote a book of poetry. At one point, I was a frequent visitor and, um, and minister to the youth at our Bear County Detention Center here in San Antonio. So I would go there on a monthly basis. And I went there not only to share uh, ministry efforts with the youth that were there, but also I would write a new piece of poetry for every visit. Ultimately, those pieces of poetry were compiled into a book called The Power of Poetic Praises. I wrote uh, a book of um Motivation and Inspiration and Encouragement as well, called MI365, Motivation and Inspiration 365. And so that book uh, was uh, written because in 2014, I had a cancer diagnosis. And that cancer diagnosis was abrupt. And literally, it was a type of cancer that if it wasn't diagnosed and found, um, it would have given me about five years max, which would have taken me to about 2018. Uh, so we wouldn't be having this conversation. But thank God, I'm cancer free. They were able to remove it all. I'm cancer free and have been for uh, a couple of years now. And so the reason I wrote that book in my 365, I thought, my children, what am I going to say to them? I can't say much when I'm gone. As a minister, there is Plenty of video footage out there on me on YouTube, years worth that they can look at sermons. But what if I want to speak to my children daily after I'm gone? How could I do that? And God laid on my heart, just create a book whereby I created over 365 videos that are 45 seconds to one minute long, which you scan with a QR code. This was well before his time at that time. And my children and anyone else that picks that text up uh, can hear an encouraging word based on the word of God. And so that was one of my texts. I wrote another one called um, um, uh, 21 Keys and Power Steps to Success. And so that book was 
to help people trying to gain success in any area of life uh, to apply those principles and they can find it. And finally, I wrote my latest book. That book is, is titled The Republican Party and the Journey Blackwards, Regaining the Black Vote. And that's talking about the history of the Republican Party from its inception in 1854. And it talks about uh, how the Republican Party um, was birthed and one of the reasons it was birthed to stop the spread of slavery. And um, they were uh, able to do not only that, but be uh, true advocates and stalwarts for uh, black people transitioning from uh, the era of slavery and um, also to help them transition from the Jim Crow era, et cetera. And it continues today, especially throughout the great state of Texas. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote that book to help Republicans, not only in Texas, but beyond to see things that they can do better, things that they've done great in the past, things that they can do better moving forward in the future to grow the base of uh, minorities, not just blacks, but all minorities uh, within the party. Now, in regards to your last book yeah. that you, you wrote regarding black Americans, you also launched the 151st Black Men of Texas, yes, which is actually an auxiliary to the Republican Party of the state. Yes. So what did you learn through the process of launching this organization? Yes. One, one thing I learned is that um, when it comes down to uh, the Republican Party of Texas, they were quite receptive with the idea and the name when people hear 151st Black Men of Texas, what is that all about? Well, keep in mind, July 4th, 1867, 150 black men and 20 Anglos started the Republican Party of Texas. It was launched and started in Houston, Texas by 150 black men and 20 Anglos. I travel extensively through Texas and most Texans, regardless of their age, are just blown away. They're like, whoa, I did not know that. And so... Um, the idea of 151st black men came about because we had a lot of instrumental men that came from the history of the Republican Party. For example, Norris Wright Cooney, he was our second state GOP chairman. And uh, this was back in the 1800s. In 1883, he controlled the Texas Republican Party. This was a black man. He was also the first grand master of the Prince Hall Masons in Texas from 1875 to 1877. Why is that instrumental? Because the majority of your black Masons that are part of Masonic lodges, um, they're going to be a part of the Prince Hall Masons uh, under that, that particular title of brand. And so to have a black man that was in charge of the Republican Party during this time, it was key. Keep in mind, we're talking 1800s. We talk about people like William Madison McDonald. And, you know, he was also one that led at the helm of the Republican Party back in the 1800s. And he was also believed to be the first millionaire, uh, black millionaire in the state of Texas. He was the financier uh, during the Great Depression. So when banks were closing, he was one that were able to help banks, including the Anglo banks, remain open. And so this gentleman did so much for the Republican Party of Texas. George T. Ruby. These are people that I talk about. George T. Ruby, he was president of the Union League. And this was during the time of 1869. He was elected. Again, I do want to emphasize 1869, a black man, a Republican, was elected as Texas state senator. He organized um, labor unions. He organized the men in Galveston to help them um, to be able to uh, fight fairly with respect to their, their labor contracts and things of that nature. And I can go on and on. This guy, uh, George C. Ruby, he would have been the youngest um, black lieutenant governor um, elected ever in, this, in the U.S. at that time. But definitely 
if you weren't uh, 26 years of age, you wasn't old enough at the time to be elected. Uh, otherwise, he would have been lieutenant governor back in the 1800s. And again, this is a black Republican. And finally, the one I, I want to highlight, Matthew Gaines. If, we, if, if we've heard of Texas A&M, and most people have heard of the Aggies, then um, they will know about Matthew Gaines. Any Aggie people will know about Matthew Gaines. Why? Because it was Matthew Gaines who was literally born on a plantation in Louisiana, made his way here to Texas, was a Baptist minister, escaped from for freedom twice before being caught and returned to slavery. This black Republican, too, was elected to the state Senate back in 1869, and he served as a senator in the 16th district of uh, the Texas legislature uh, during Reconstruction. Why is it so significant that we mentioned his name? Because it was things that he pushed forward. He was instrumental in making sure that the 12th Texas legislature was able to take full advantage of the Land Grant College Act of 1862. And this was foundational to the birthing of both Texas A&M and Prairie View A&M in 1876. So there's a lot of history. And so as historian, I talk about that history. I encourage people to know it because there's so much more that we're not being told. We put it in a book and people like me um, share that information and talk about it as I tour places like Texas. Uh, Dr. Wesley, you also taught critical thinking at the university yeah. level. So how do you define critical thinking? And what do you think has happened to people in general today that they've lost their ability to think? Yes, critical thinking in itself is being able to think outside of the realm of what people are simply telling you, being able to use investigative uh, methods and measures, being able to look at data, being able to look at statistics, being able to look at facts, being able to evaluate uh, what's going to be the more, most likely uh, direction or course to believe. And so ultimately, People have lost sight of critical thinking because they're boxed in. We're being told through social media what to believe. We're being told through CNN, NBC, all these uh, news outlets what to believe. And so what happens if people are fed information so much, then their brains become a little more uh, lazy, becomes lazy. And so ultimately people don't think they're told what to think and they accept that as the truth. And then they regurgitate it by telling other people. That's not critical thinking. Critical thinking has been able to look and say, let me go ahead and go to the foundation of the source all the way down to the foundation of where that information comes from and make uh, a decision based on that. And so that uh, has escaped us. We have something that they're teaching here in the great state of Texas that has the word critical, but it's called critical race theory. That's not critical thinking. And so that's something that's being uh, force fed to people. And also people are being manipulated into understanding and accepting critical, critical race theory as something that's truth when the fact of the matter is in the name itself, it's called the theory for a reason. That's what it is. And it's teaching our children to hate one another. And we have to use critical thinking to get beyond that, navigate beyond it and put it to sleep. Now, one of the duties of the land commissioner is to ensure that Texas veterans get their benefits. And you oversee investments uh, that earn like billions of dollars for public education and management of state lands to produce oil and gas. So how do you plan to oversee these investments as Texas Land Commissioner? Yes. Uh, keep in mind, when it comes down to our veterans, we have uh, the Veterans Land Board and the Veterans Land Board, they have their hand on uh, quite a bit when it comes down to uh, loans for land, uh, home loans and things of that nature. And one of the problems, again, this is one of the things that really sparked my attention. One of the problems is that uh, with that, 
veterans are not going directly to the Veterans Land Board here in Texas to get their home loans. They're going to other agencies because uh, the rates for those loans are just too high. They're not as competitive as they should be. So I want to be able to spearhead and see uh, that change. I want the Veterans Land Board here in the great state of Texas to be the place that people go to when it comes down to our veterans looking for home loans, looking to buy land. I want to make sure that they look and say the first place I'm going to stop is the Veterans Land Board on the D GLO. And so that's one of the things, again, that is going to take the power of influence, going to take time, it's going to take a strategy to make sure that happens. When it comes down to our permanent school fund, that's growing by uh, roughly about a billion dollars per year. Uh, that's not uh, just going to be the general land office um, that's going to be in charge of that. We're going to have the State Board of Education that's going to be involved in that as well. And so uh, there are going to be other entities that help to manage that fund, to help to grow that fund, and uh, to make sure that the investments are proper uh, to continue to grow it. And so some of that money, that 50 plus billion dollars, it's going to TEA and eventually filter down to our school districts. What I like to see, I like to see that grow. How are we going to grow it? We have 13 million acres of public land. I want to make sure that we're making um, opportunities to not only drill and explore for oil, gas, and minerals on our land, but I want to make sure those opportunities are increased for those that are seeking to do it. And in doing so, we can increase the amount of revenue that we're bringing in so that we can reinvest. So, Dr. Wesley, your website is Texans, the number four, Tim.com. That's Texans for Tim.com. Early voting will run from Monday, May 16th through Friday, May 20th. Election day is Tuesday, May 24. So before we leave, tell voters why Dr. Tim Wesley is the best choice for Texas land commissioner. Well, I am grassroots. I believe in our Constitution. I'm a man of faith, a man of God. He's my most important endorser, God himself, after God, we the people. I'm a family man, and I'm not running just to get a job and get a platform for the next opportunity. I'm running for we the people. If you look at my other website, timwesley.com, you'll see a ton of legislation I've been pushing, a ton of um, initiatives that I've been leading over the years. Whether elected or not, I've been working for we the people. We have 1,254 miles of southern border. Hundreds of thousands of those acres are under the purview of the land commissioner's office. So we have um, a part to play in securing our border. I want to make sure that's secured as well, doing whatever I can to use not only my uh, platform, but use my voice to make sure we're pushing forward uh, border security because that affects us and affects the great state of Texas and the lands. And ultimately, I want to leave people with the fact that I'm, I'm reachable and I will continue to be reachable. One of the things, as I mentioned, and I'll mention again, I plan to have regular town halls throughout the great state of Texas. I don't want to just hear from the people while I'm running for office. And I don't want them to hear from me only when I'm running for office. I want to hear from we the people throughout this time so that whatever things they have that's concerning them, they can hear from my office. My office can hear from them. And I'm not going to be just simply sending representatives. I'll be in locations throughout Texas whereby they can reach me, reach out to me. And so I can hear them take their concerns. And at the end of the day, whether reelected or not, I can at least tell the people I can go to sleep at night. And I did my best to do what we, the people, sent me to Austin to do. Dr. Tim Wesley, thank you very much for taking the time for talking to us. And thank you once again for being on the Keep Texas Red podcast. You're more than welcome. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. God bless you. God bless the great state of Texas. And God bless the United States of America. Texas is worth fighting for. God bless. Thank you for listening to another episode 
of the Keep Texas Red podcast. Follow us on keeptexasred.org.